From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah uh, to each and every one of you. I wish you all the very best, and uh, I especially wish you good health, peace, prosperity, and safe travels as we all hit the highways, the interstates, uh, the airports to visit family and friends over the holiday season. Uh, we are quickly closing out on 2014 and what a tumultuous year it's been. Uh, and with that in mind, Joel Skousen, editor and publisher of a most excellent alternative news analysis service, the World Affairs Brief, is standing by to wrap up the year that was in geopolitics, political subterfuge, uh, the secret machinations of world leaders, and their inexorable march towards their intended goal of a new world order. So think of the uh, the coming hour as a, uh, a backstage in the global theater year in review. Joel Skousen. Uh, I get the most amazing mail from listeners, carefully typed information packets uh, that arrives each week via snail mail. Uh, some uh, of it uh, meticulously handwritten, some of it not so meticulous, and of course countless emails. And I do appreciate all of the mail, and I and I try my best to respond to as much as is humanly possible. But quite frankly, I cannot keep up. And I apologize to those uh, who don't receive a reply, but I do read it all. I promise you that. Uh, I have a backlog going uh, back months and months and uh, regarding uh, email. And I, uh, I wonder if I should just declare email bankruptcy and start over. Uh, but, but there is one I do want to share with you right now because I think it's very appropriate... Uh, giving my, uh, given my upcoming conversation with Joel Skousen about the state of the world and more specifically the United States and the end of the American empire, if you will. Uh, this email is from Donald Merker, uh, who checks in from time to time. And uh, Donald, thank you for this. Uh, he writes, of the Obama imperial dictatorship, is the documented history of all democratic republic societies from birth to death throughout history going back thousands of years repeating before our eyes? Are your eyes wide open or wide shut? Do your own search to verify the following facts and statements if they seem too outrageous to be true. The Democratic Republic of the United States of America was survived, has survived 40 years longer than any, or than all others in recorded history. Next year's budget, $1.1 trillion, is $500 billion more than taxes and revenues expected. The rest will be borrowed or printed by the Federal Reserve from thin air. In five years, the U.S. will be paying over $1 trillion per year in interest, assuming there is still a United States. In 1887, Alexander Tyler, a Scottish history professor at the University of Edinburgh, had this to say about the fall of the Athenian Republic some 2,000 years prior. A democracy is always temporary in nature. It simply cannot exist as a permanent form of government. A democracy will continue to exist up until the time that voters discover that they can vote themselves generous gifts from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates who promise the most benefits from the public treasury, with the result that every democracy will finally collapse over loose fiscal policy, which is always followed by a dictatorship. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations from the beginning of history has been about 200 years. During these 200 years, these nations always progressed through the following sequence, from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, 
from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to complacency, from complacency to apathy, and from apathy to dependence, from dependence back into bondage. Joel Skousen is the publisher of the World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service found at worldaffairsbrief.com. Mr. Skousen is a political scientist by training and speaks multiple foreign languages, which he uses in accessing information here and abroad. He specializes in helping readers understand the hidden agenda of those secretly controlled both political parties and the U.S. government. Joel Skousen, how are you? I'm just fine, Richard. It's good to be with you again. Uh, before we uh, we do sort of our, our year in review and go back and, and talk about some earlier stories we've touched on uh, this year, let's talk about the most most current edition of the World Affairs Brief, and uh, let's start with a with a biggie because it affects obviously uh, uh, us both uh, up here in Canada and down in the United States, and that is uh, oil production and OPEC refusing. Uh, to pull back on oil production. And here we have now the price of oil hovering somewhere around $63 a barrel, which is not good for our big tar sands project up in Canada. Uh, they're very worried in Alberta, and for good reason. And, and it's not hurt, it's not helping the, uh, uh, the, the oil production, uh, sector in the United States. What's going on here? Well, first of all, in the larger picture, it's important to understand that the United States government <clears throat> And major oil corporations that were in league with government funded the environmentalists who in turn uh, produced a great hue and cry against oil exploration in America. And so the government itself withheld and purposely allowed the environmentalists to shut down oil production in America for, you know, 20 years or so while we really were forced to rely on foreign oil. I predicted years ago in the World Affairs Brief that at some point in the future, as we near a period of war, because I, I, I had hypothesized the reason for shutting down uh, oil production was to withhold U.S. domestic oil so that it would be there when they needed it during war, when external oil and foreign oil supplies would be shut down. And sure enough, they allowed you know the tar sands, the shale oil, and the fracking, all of that to occur and actually, fracking was not something they allowed to occur. It just came up as an invention. And so, really, the oil companies jumped the gun on the government. The government still has not released uh, oil exploration in the gold oil found, uh, find up in the Arctic, which is huge, as big as Saudi Arabia, which was shut down uh, and capped and sealed uh, under threat of punishment to Richfield Oil, who had discovered it. And, of course, the California oil fields have not been allowed to be uh, drilled as well. But the shale oil came out of nowhere. It was already, uh, you know, for the taking, the government couldn't stop that. And so that's what's really flooded production right now. It doesn't mean that the government has, you know, opened up the spigots uh, right prior to war. That will happen a little bit further down. But right now we have a combination of lowering demand and tripling of production in the United States. So the United States is nearing uh, with Russia and Saudi Arabia is the largest oil producer in the world. And we're almost self-sufficient for oil now. But what that means is, of course, that you've got a glut of oil in the market. Oil's down actually today was $61. And so uh, what this does, and a lot of people like Michael Snyder are predicting a collapse of big banks and perhaps the entire uh, economy because of commodity futures contracts and derivatives uh, that are tied to the collapsing oil price. And in the World Affairs Brief, 
I did uh, take issue with that. I don't think that was a good analysis because when people do futures contracts uh, for oil, you know, let's suppose, you know, four months ago they were doing $100 uh, future oil contracts. Well, they went around and immediately sold those future contracts to the airlines and to the big refineries. So it isn't that they're suddenly sitting with a futures contract with no buyers when the price drops to 60. All of those futures contracts have been resold. And so that's why airliners, for example, are not lowering their prices because they bought oil high and they're going to have to live with that now. They're buying now futures contracts, uh, you know, at $65 a barrel, for example. And so they'll be able to lower prices in the future. But, you know, the derivatives that were, uh, you know, hit on oil, there's both pros and cons. Those things get liquidated rapidly. So there isn't any major crisis looming in that regard. Where the big crisis is, though, Richard, is with the OPEC countries. Their budgets actually cannot be self-sustaining for anything less than $100 a barrel for oil. And, and for Venezuela, it's probably $135 a barrel. So those countries are really hurting. Uh, I don't believe that they refused to cut production um, because they were under the U.S. thumb to hurt Russia or Venezuela. So I just don't think, in fact, Saudi Arabia really did want to go along with that and, and cut production. But none of the other OPEC countries uh, could afford to, and that's where they're stuck. They've just simply outspent themselves. They have no way to maneuver in this um, market. So what it really means is it's going to be a boon to the economy. A lot of people say a lot of oil jobs are going to be lost. Uh, this may be true in the future, but right now production is going full steam ahead in the shale and the tar sands, and I'll tell you why. It's because companies and countries have already invested in the equipment that's currently producing oil, and they don't gain anything by stop producing. Even if it's below the cost of production, it still has, ha, helps to pay off the debt of what they've invested so far. What it will do in the future, it will stop future drilling and future development um, and future investment in those markets until the price rises. Joel Skousen is with us, editor-publisher of World Affairs Brief, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Our World in Review uh, with Joel Skousen. Now, Joel, uh, the other uh, a big issue, of course, uh, which is still raging in the Middle East, and but although you wouldn't know it from the mainstream news, and that is this never-ending, no-win war with ISIS. What's going on there? Well, what's really amazing is that it simply has disappeared from the news. And, in fact, there isn't a lot going on there. Uh, the U.S. just did 20 strikes today, but that was up from you know, one or two maybe uh, every week. I mean, literally, there was nothing to hit. And the reason there's nothing to hit is, one, ISIS was a U.S. creation. Um, it was developed. They basically took a portion of the rebels that they were funding and said, oh, you're going to form this new organization called Islamic State, uh, and you're going to, you know, train them, get up to thirty or 50,000, have these big depots, and then you're going to attack Iraq. The whole purpose of that was not to take over Iraq, but to have such an impact on the world uh, as to bring U.S. troops back to the air and to be able to turn around U.S. forces and say, now we're going to have to go back and attack Syria, because that's where ISIS is from. And, But what's interesting about this, and let me just backtrack, though, the reason that Syria needs to be targeted, and Iraq really isn't the target, but Syria is the target, is because Israel 
is not going to attack Iran until Syria is taken out of the way. And once the U.S. got into that uh, unlikely agreement for chemical weapons with Syria, due to the faux pas, the, the foot and mouth of uh, John Kerry, the London press conference, we gave them that out. that They could stop the U.S. attack on Syria if they gave up their chemical weapons. The U.S. has been trying to do anything they can um, in terms of conjuring up you know, false evidence that Syria isn't going through with the chemical weapons. That failed. So they had to conjure up ISIS to get back into there. and But it isn't going well. In the first place, ISIS is smart enough, obviously, knowing that they're under U.S. control. They don't get dare get out of the cities. They know the U.S. can't bomb them in the cities. So there haven't been very many targets of opportunities. Uh, but the U.S. keeps funding, and in, in the proposed funding bill before the U.S. House and Senate, you have another $500 million for the rebels. Part of that's going to ISIS because they're part of the rebels. The U.S. citizens just don't know that. But the target is Assad, and uh, that's where this is heading. But, you know, the U.S. can't outright go out and destroy ISIS because that's the whole reason for being in Syria. And so this is a no-win war, but you'll find it, be, it will be moving south steadily in 2015 until Assad has taken over. It's curious that the Kerry has characterized this as a, uh, you know, a war that will take years and years and years to win. This is not a huge uh, army. I, I, I mean, if there were troops on the ground uh, and they were serious, the Americans, that that is, serious about uh, engaging the enemy... Uh, I would think that this is <laughs> this is a, war, a battle that could be wrapped up pretty quickly if they were serious about it. Absolutely, and that's right. That's just not a serious war. This is a phony war on terror. Remember, there are two purposes on creating ISIS. One was to get back into Syria. The other was to create, and that's why they did these staged beheadings of an American, a Brit, and a French, and uh, any country that they want to get really hyped up about this, they'll behead one of their citizens. Exactly. This isn't Joel, i got to interject here. We're going to come up on a break. We'll come back. We'll finish up with ISIS and, and move on to other matters. Joel Skow is an editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief right here on The Conspiracy Show. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we're back with Joel Skousen, editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief. Before we continue our, our year in review, Joel, let uh, people know how they can subscribe to World Affairs Brief. World Affairs Brief is showcased on my website, www.worldaffairsbrief.com. And uh, there is a modest subscription for my weekly World Affairs Brief. It comes out every Friday. People can get a free sample issue by simply emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. We were talking about the, the phony war on terror and the, the creation of uh, ISIS, uh, the Islamic State in Syria and the Levant. I guess we should refer to them as ISIL now. <laughs> but uh, uh, you, you, you were talking about these staged beheadings, and, and uh, we, we talked about this earlier in the year, and I, I always believed that these were, these were staged. If this is an actual terror group intent on terrorizing, uh, people, then they would have shown in these videos the actual beheading, but they were clearly staged. That's right. There wasn't the typical crowd of jihadists around as there have been in other uh, real-life beheadings where they're showing off before the camera. This was one lone person with a British accent, probably MI6 agent. What I suspect is that these people were, in fact, rescued by British and CIA or Israeli forces, 
And then before sending home, they says, you know, what we want to do is do a little video here to really give ISIS a bad name. They talked them into giving these videos, and that explains, I think it's the only thing that explains, why there was no duress, why they seem to be very, very converted to this, which is literally impossible, the friends that knew them, and then why there was no flinching when the knife goes up to the neck. They didn't expect to be killed. They thought they were just doing a... Uh, you know, a propaganda video uh, against ISIS. And then the camera stops. They end up being killed, which to their surprise, obviously, and uh, the body is showing. So it's not that I don't believe they were killed. I don't believe they were killed by ISIS. Uh, where is this uh, heading? Do, do you foresee a some sort of a, a false flag type of operation involving uh, ISIL in the United States? I do not. Um, ISIS is... Um, as I said, a U.S. and British intelligence creation in order to foment the international war on terror. Remember, 9-11 created a national, international support for the U.S. war against terror. But now ISIS has internationalized, and that's why the U.S. is building an international air coalition. If I think they're doing a few token sorties. The U.S. is doing 95% of all the, the air sorties. But the purpose is to get these countries used to acting together, get the American people used to expecting to have an international war body. And that's a prelude to globalism, in, in my estimation. So that's where it's going. I do not believe that there will be any ISIS people allowed to come across the border and do any attacks on the United States. And the reason is, I mean, look, since before 9-11, we've had a wide-open border with Mexico. We haven't had one single normal small terrorist attack of the type that comes to the border ever hasn't happened. And you have to ask yourself why, if they hate us, if Al-Qaeda's been out there for a dozen years hating us and ISIS hates us and beheads us, what's stopping them from coming across the border? I'll tell you. It's because it's a controlled terrorist outfit. And if they were to come across the border and blow themselves up in a mall in Phoenix or El Paso, or blow up railroad tracks or electrical pylons, you know what the American people would demand? That that border be sealed. And that would get in the way of the administration's agenda, the globalist agenda, of uh, watering down American conservative votes with unlimited mass illegal immigration. And that's why it's not going to happen, in my opinion. Now, that said, I also don't think there's going to be another big, false flag attack like 9-11, which was a government operation from beginning to end. Uh, and the reason I say that is because 9-11 created a massive wave of support for conspiracy theory. And uh, they made so many mistakes. It was so difficult to cover up. Uh, the hand of the government is all over the place in that operation. It's impossible for a couple of... Uh, wily terrorists to have done anything near what happened there. And it's just built a great deal of support for the conspiracy facts, I will say, that have uh, built an anti-government movement in the United States. Well, this is, this is actually, actually encouraging that, uh, whatever you want to call this, uh, you know, the 9-11 truthers or, or those of us who, who don't believe in the official version, that uh, because we've sort of coalesced and we've made such a, a, a you know, a, a ruckus, that we, we perhaps prevented a future 9-11. That's right. From the government point of view, uh, we have. Now, that hasn't stopped them from doing other things, such as uh, unlimited NSA spying and the militarization of police. 
And as we talk about a wrap-up of the year of 2014, I think that's the thing that we need to focus on, is that we have unlimited total domestic spying, everything from email to telephone calls. About the only thing that isn't under constant surveillance is ham radio and the mails. Now, they are photographing the covers of all mail and computerizing that. And they have some equipment that can see through one page and interpret it, even fold it. But multiple pages, they can't. Well, I mean, who uses the old uh, snail mail uh, anymore anyway? Uh, it's all... Well, those that want security do. I suppose. That's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. Uh, we're coming up. This is a short segment. We'll be coming up on a break here uh, momentarily. Uh, no, no, this is a longer one. My apologies. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, let, let's let's talk about uh, the militarization of, of the police. And, and that was certainly present uh, with the... Uh, uh, the situation, the tragic situation in, in Ferguson, Missouri, the death of Michael Brown. Um, you know, obviously... The Boston Massacre. The Boston, Boston Massacre. Uh, marathon uh, police response was a huge militarization of this. Yes. Uh, where, where, where are the police uh, getting these armored personnel carriers and, and, and uh, uh, heavily armed black helicopters and so forth? They don't have the budgets and for this. automatic do- weapons, all of this stuff is coming from... Uh, a special program of the United States military, and it literally comes to them free. And so it's very difficult for police chiefs to uh, reject this stuff, even though it requires a tremendous amount of expense and training and maintenance, etc. cetera. Uh, there's just an ego trip for many of these people to have APCs and uh, huge SWAT teams outfitted. I mean, everybody's got SWAT teams, including IRS and Forest Service and uh, it's just uh, water conservation departments. I mean, the government is really literally building a police state uh, under the excuse of future unrest and domestic terrorism. The, the second part of militarization, though, is police brutality. In other words, we're getting more and more thuggishness in police. And the problem with that is we've given almost de facto immunity to police in terms of their shooting unarmed people or being rough or abusive with people. The courts are not uh, prosecuting or not uh, sanctioning them. Uh, police chiefs are uh, not investigating it. They're covering up, and prosecutors are not prosecuting. And so unless you have a videotape or an audio tape that goes viral, Nobody's going to do anything against police brutality. Well, we, we, had, we had that videotape that went viral in the, uh, the Eric Garner chokehold case in New York. Well, let me get your thoughts uh, on that. Was, I mean, Eric Garner's widow has, uh, has even said this was not about race. Uh, you know, this was just about, you know, cops trying to be macho, I guess. And, 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 uh, I, I would say thuggish. Thuggish, right. That's right. right. Would you concur so that this, is, this, this, this yeah, was absolutely. not about race? Absolutely. It wasn't about race at all, although there are policemen who feel totally justified in just disrespecting those people of color. I mean, for example, in 2013, we have this video of uh, uh, Officer Wilson in the Ferguson case uh, bad-mouthing a black who was filming him as he came onto his property, which is his right to do so. Yes. He said, I'm going to put your black ass in jail if you don't stop filming him. And then he proceeded to arrest him. Totally illegal arrest. Nothing happened to the policeman. It was not, and the you know, the owner would probably, you know, uh, you know, tried to file suit. Or if he, but the point is, the policeman showed that he had this disrespectful attitude. So I suspect that when he approached Brown on the street, 
you know, it wasn't would you please walk on the sidewalk, you know, you're inhibiting traffic, it was get your black ass onto the sidewalk. And so Brown, of course, uh, throws a punch at him and connects, and then the rest is uh, is history, except for the fact that, you know, uh, in the altercation, Brown gets shot in the thumb and then backs off and, and gets quite a distance away, and the officer pursues him and shoots 11 shots at him. And that's just not justified. And and the, in the the Eric Garner case, uh, you know whether it was a chokehold, whether it wasn't a chokehold. Obviously, no, it Garner. No, be a chokehold. Yes. I mean, you don't die from suffocation without a chokehold. But the point is, a chokehold is so much more preventable to death. That is, it's so much more preventable because you've got the guy in your hand. You can hear his breathing. You can hear him stop breathing. You can hear him struggling. You can hear him stop struggling. And it's time to stop that so that you don't kill him. And he killed him. This was a blatant case of murder, straight up and down, and it proves that the grand jury system is totally flawed in the United States. The prosecutor simply uh, did not want the policeman uh, prosecuted, and he got off, and so I think the protests are very, very justified. And uh, and, and going forward, the future of, uh, well, how do you think race relations will, will play out in 2015? Well, frankly... I don't think race relations are the issue. I think there is within certain racial sectors, and, you know, make some racist uh, sounding statements here, but uh, real demographics, real studies will show that 80% of police encounters are with blacks and Latinos. And it's not that they're racial profiling, except that the, there is a, a high degree of problems among uh, the poor blacks and poor Latinos or gang blacks and gang Latinos in high-density urban areas. And so the 80% figure of police encounters with blacks and Latinos is not going away, whether you take away profiling or not. But in fact, it's a legitimate exercise in judgment to, when you're a policeman walking the beat, to be suspicious when you get into a neighborhood where there's a high degree of crime and gang activity. Uh, so that's not going away, but race really isn't the issue. It's the fact that certain races do have a predominance uh, because of welfareism in the black community and because of criminal behavior in the Latino community. This stems from the illegal alien status, the coyotes, and the uh, shakedown uh, culture that exists in immigrants, illegal immigrants that come across the border. And that shakedown culture leads to criminal activity and gangs. How do you respond to uh, uh, critics of, of President Obama who, who say that he is, in fact, fanned the flames uh, of, of racism by appearing to take sides? Well, yes, there is some, uh, you know, some truth to that. Uh, I think that criminal elements will use race as an excuse, but I don't think, frankly, that, uh, I mean, race... Relations have made vast improvements since the civil rights days, even in the South. I mean, it was just so endemic in the South. Uh, when you look at the sports uh, figures who tried to break the color barrier and the literal, uh, you know, booing and spitting and throwing things at them and accosting them on the floor from white, uh, you know, fans in the stands versus a lone black player in a college like Vanderbilt who went to... Uh, you know, down to Mississippi to play. I mean, this is just unconscionable and does not happen today. So race relations have vastly improved. Uh, what we are now seeing really are criminal elements uh, with the racial background, but they're criminal elements who are looting, 
and who are uh, inflaming uh, now. That said, there are legitimate protests against police brutality, and those ought to continue. But the looting is a criminal factor and has nothing to do with just taking advantage of the unrest. Joel Skousen, editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief. And uh, let's we'll be coming up on a break here in about a minute, but let's start this conversation. And, and, and here we have... Uh, more disturbing revelations about CIA torture and torture flights. Uh, and one of the most, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it's, it's horrible. This, the idea that maybe tw- as many as 20% of those detained were wrongfully held. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit more about these, uh, these revelations about CIA torture and then we'll, uh, we'll pick it up on the other side as well. Well, the torture was very, very specific. It's far worse than waterboarding. Waterboarding. It was actually threatening their family with agents going and killing and raping their women and other things. I mean, the Americans have no business making that. I mean, China is just having a field day saying, how dare you criticize us for human right abuses when you've got this to your record. So the U.S. has lost now complete moral authority in the world. It's bogus that there are, you know, threats against Americans as the reason, you know, uh, saying that that's the reason it should not be revealed. What this does is give the knee-jerk Republicans, uh, and I'm talking about phony conservatives, Republicans in name only, or really globalists, gives them a chance to come out of the woodwork and defend this kind of torture, saying that it was very effective to defend this all under the aegis of the war on terror, just like the American conservative, the phony conservatives are defending NSA spying. Okay, I've got to As jump in here, Joe. We'll, we'll take a time out, come back and continue to talk about uh, revelations about CIA torture right here on The Conspiracy Show. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. We're back with Joel Skousen, editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief. And uh, before the break, uh, Joel, we were talking about uh, CIA torture and these recent revelations. First of all, I want to make it clear that these torture revelations are said in the past tense. The Democrats, this is a one-sided report. The Democrats are taking advantage of the fact that they lost the election and trying to get back at the Republicans. That's fine. But what they don't tell is that... This has not stopped. It's still ongoing. There are still black sites. It never did stop. And so it's ongoing in Barack Obama under the Democrats as well. And the people in the intelligence community know that. Everyone's being silent about that. Michael Hayden, Dick Cheney have all come out to explain and give justification for this. But the Democratic you know, staff of the Senate really did put together a very detailed report, and they have... CIA documents, uh, even though most of them blacked out, there's enough that's been revealed that is just utterly damning. The CIA rebuttal, for example, was as phony as a $3 bill. They went and talked about uh, named situations where torture really produced results. But as the Democratic staffer said, when you t- they did the same thing before in the investigations, and they went to the actual paperwork to see if any of those statements in public were justified, and they were not. And I'll bet you when they go through and take the CIA rebuttal and look for actual evidence to back it up, it won't be there either. It's just a propaganda stunt. But if if this war on terror is largely phony, and I, I, I subscribe to that, who are they torturing and why? Well, they are torturing uh, a lot of uh, jihadists, and a lot of them... Uh, 
you know, they're building a war on terror. They have been building it for years with Al-Qaeda, and they get names and indications from people of who are people that they can turn to run the war on terror. They also do it to build hatred against the United States. That's one of the major purposes for intervention around the world is to build the U.S. as the bully of the world. And so they've got to incense the world, and they're doing that by torture. But believe me, you know, probably less than half of the people in Guantanamo were guilty of any significant uh, uh, crimes against the United States. And yet they were kept there, even after, even as the United States has admitted now in this document, that they knew that they had nothing on them and they still kept them there. And part of the reason they say is so that they wouldn't let them loose to tell what was happening to them in Guantanamo because there was torture going on. And the second thing was to continue to twist the knife in the gut of the Arab world or the Muslim world so that they would continue to hate the United States. But this hatred of the United States, you might say, well, what's going on here? Why would the U.S. want the world to hate them? Because remember, they're trying to build a movement to justify Russia and China attacking the West, taking down the U.S. military. That's how our government comes out of their bunkers when this war begins and says, now our military's been devastated. The only way we can survive and prosecute this grand patriotic World War III is to join in a global militarized army. And that's how we'll get into a global new world order, and that's how we're going to lose our liberty. That's going to happen until the next decade, however, because Russia and China aren't ready. Speaking of Russia, and again, uh, we're coming up on a break, and we'll pick this up on the uh, the other side, and an interesting piece in uh, the latest edition of World Affairs Brief, and that is about uh, Vladimir Putin, the supposed strongman of Russia, although in the article... It's suggested, highly suggested, that Putin is not running the show in Russia. He's simply sort of the face of a, uh, a group of oligarchs who are really running the show. What's the situation in Russia? Is Putin really in charge? Well, no, there is no country who's run by a single strongman. The days of Khrushchev or Stalin or Hitler are over. They are run by oligarchs. Putin is their front man, and I think it's important to understand that. Now, Andre. Ilarionov, uh, in the Journal of Democracy, wrote a piece uh, basically calling the real leaders behind Putin as a Siloviki, which basically it's a conglomeration of all the dark side operators, KGB, FSU, GRU, all of these federal secret service and other people in Russia that really call the shots. He's actually making the same mistake that Rodney Stitch made, who wrote that phenomenal book, defrauding America, listing all of the whistleblowers in the CIA, DEA, FBI, and and CIA who had blown the whistle on U.S. illegal acts in in black operations and came to the erroneous conclusion there was a CIA coup and the CIA is controlling our government. And he's wrong. What he's really observing was the enforcement, the dark side enforcement, but there's a globalist leadership far above government that controls both parties, that controls the dark side of the CIA, the dark side of the FBI. And that's the same way in Russia. They used to be called the nomenklatura, and now he's calling them the siloviki, but I think the nomenklatura still exists. There was a coup, however, when Putin took down Berezovsky. Boris Berezovsky was the head of the oligarchs, which were the old communist guard who came out of hiding made themselves wealthy in the phony fall of the Soviet Union by bequeathing themselves the, the media empire, the oil empire, the gold empire, etc. But there was a palace coup. Uh, Putin uh, 
whoever's behind Putin had Boris Berezovsky killed and okay. Kaczynski and that, yeah. Sorry, got to jump in here. We'll take another time out, come back and uh, continue our conversation. A year in review with Joel Skousen, editor, publisher, World Affairs Brief. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Joel Skousen. Uh, before we continue with uh, the discussion regarding uh, Vladimir Putin and who's really running Russia, uh, tell us one more time how we can subscribe to World Affairs Brief, Joel. World Affairs Brief can be viewed on my website, worldaffairsbrief.com, and <clears throat> people can get a free sample issue by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. I also have another website, at joelskousen.com. Skousen is S-K-O-U-S-E-N, where I publish all of my other books on preparedness and other things because I sincerely believe that we've really kind of lost our liberty even though it isn't fully dawned upon people. This I don't think we're going to be able to beat this powerful conspiracy. They are going to bring war upon us, and I think we need to prepare. So I have a lot of my preparedness books and recommendations on joelskousen.com. All right. Uh, before the break, we were talking about who's really in charge in Russia, and you're saying that uh, that uh, Putin uh, appears to be sort of running the show, but he's really representing or answering to uh, a group of uh, uh, oligarchs. Uh, so it's, you know, sort of the same group, I guess, in, in, in that's been running Russia, uh, although you're saying there was a, a palace coup and Putin got rid of one of the oligarchs, but no, I mean, it really isn't the same. No, it's not I the think same. There's been a massive replacement. Uh, we've got to remember that this, you know, happened in uh, in the late 90s. I'm sorry, the late 80, 80, 89, and then in the early 90s, this uh, these oligarchs took over and they got old, fat, dumb, and happy, and a lot of new oligarchs were brought in came up, and I think there was a palace coup, because almost all of the old guard oligarchs are gone and, and been replaced with young ones. Uh, but ideologically, aren't they the same? Yes, absolutely. They're still communists. That's what I'm trying to say. The, the, the Soviet Union didn't... Uh, the communism did not fall. It went underground. The real communist leaders behind the scene came out of the woodwork, became oligarchs, and a lot of those oligarchs now are basically taking a back seat and out of the limelight, Putin is the head. One of the proofs of this, for example, you know, Putin always claimed to be the enemy of Boris Berezovsky, and that's how he became popular. We've got to stop these oligarchs. But Putin met, according to Spanish intelligence, Putin met with Boris Berezovsky five times at his Spanish villa the year Putin ascended to the presidency. It doesn't sound to me like Boris Berezovsky was his enemy, but at some point, uh, the new boys on the block, the new rich and wealthy communist leaders, decided to get rid of uh, Boris uh, Berezovsky and Brzezinski and, and some of the older oligarchs. And so now you have, you know, uh, Abramovich and, and others that are really close to uh, Putin that I think are, uh, and there are others, got to be others behind uh, running the show. Sure. What, what are some of the other key uh, uh, spots geopolitically to look for in, in 2015? Well, the Middle East is probably going to continue to erupt. Uh, as uh, I think uh, this next year is scheduled for the takedown of Assad. When that happens, you're going to find this feigned treaty or uh, making proposal by the U.S. with Iran fall apart. It already has fallen apart. They've extended it 
until 2015 June, uh, but I don't think we're ever going to see a treaty allowing Iran to go ahead with nuclear power. I think this is going to stay in abeyance until Assad is taken down, and then you're going to see an Israeli uh, whip up the propaganda again, justify a, a military strike on Iran, and I think we're going to see as early as 2015, perhaps into 16, a full-blown Middle East war that will not, I repeat, not erupt into World War III. I think it's going to stay contained there. Hezbollah and Iran will fight against Israel. The U.S. will come in. And Iran's going to go against Saudi Arabia as well, who has really been beefing up its armaments, its missiles, uh, in order to... Uh, fight it out with Iran. So there's going to be a major war in the Middle East. I don't expect the war, uh, the, the nuclear war with the West from Russia and China's sake to happen until sometime in the next decade. And I think that North Korea will be the trigger event. has to be something to explain why North Korea, the worst regime in the world with the most, with nuclear weapons and missiles to deliver, is treated with kid gloves, whereas Iran is treated as a pariah. That's an excellent point. Why? I, I always uh, imagine North Korea as sort of the the yappy lapdog, um, you know, of China. Uh, they use yeah. it, to, you know, to stir up trouble. But as you say, you know, if if uh, if the West was serious about uh, coming down on a uh, on a tyrannical, despotic regime, human rights abuses. Nuclear, nuclear powered regime. Exactly. Why do they not do anything about North Korea? That's right. And yet, Iran, everybody knows, is on the chopping block. And the reason is, our globalists, remember, they want this war as much as Russia and China does because they plan to win it. They plan to drive Americans into a new world order because of the war. And the globalists know that North Korea is going to be China's trigger event. It's a perfect trigger event. You've got 2 million troops on the North Korean side of the border. You've got 20,000 artillery tubes that could level Seoul in two days. They're only 60 miles away from Seoul. If 2 million troops come across that border, the U.S. is going to have to use tactical nukes to stop them, and that will give China and Russia the excuse they need to attack Western military forces. So I'm saying if you see a real, live, full-blown, North Korean attack of South Korea, you may have nuclear war within a week. And uh, you can take that to the bank. Uh, what about uh, uh, sub-Saharan Africa, uh, Ebola? Uh, I mean, it, it continues to rage in places like Sierra Leone, although it seems to be under somewhat uh, control in places like Nigeria and, and uh, Liberia. But in Sierra Leone, it's still out of control. We've got something like, uh, I believe, 7,000, 8,000 dead. Uh, what do you see uh, for Ebola in 2015? Well, in, in fact, it isn't uh, increasing anywhere near the numbers that it was before. It is relatively stable now in terms of containment. I don't think it's going to evolve into a major plague. It's too difficult to transmit. Uh, and that said, that's why it's so egregious. The United States is sending some uh, $5 billion to fight Ebola without telling anyone where that money's going. I'll tell you, it's not going to fight Ebola. That $5 billion is going to be a slush fund for other intervention in Africa. Africa's unstable, never will be stable. Uh, you're going to see Angola uh, right now is under pressure from Red China trying to take over uh, oil aspects there. There's an awful lot of uh, mineral wealth up for grabs. And uh, we're going to see continual... 
fighting in there on a smaller scale, but I don't think anything major like the Middle East. Ebola uh, basically has been has run uh, its course. People have learned how to how to quarantine in those areas. What the media isn't telling people is that this most likely began from the U.S. weapons labs in Africa, releasing it into the black population so that they can get back blood samples from those as their immune system interacts with Ebola, it will eventually mutate into something that's more of an airborne variety. It's a little less lethal when it becomes airborne, but nevertheless, it's a much better bioweapon once it gets to be airborne. And they get that point, then they develop a vaccine to protect the elite, and then it becomes a viable bioweapon. Bioweapons without a vaccine for the elite uh, don't fly with the globalists. So you're saying that they deliberately infected uh, black populations in sub-Saharan Africa so that they could go go back in, collect the, the, the antibodies, I guess, and develop a more uh, virulent strain at some point? Well, it's that as the immune system interacts with victims, it creates mutant forms of Ebola itself. It's not the antibodies. It's the Ebola virus itself that comes back in the samples from the dead people, and that's what they want to extract. At least that's the major mapping plan of all biowarfare is infect before, get mutant strains, and that's how you you accelerate. You know, they, they've been working ever since nine years ago. It's been documented that they've had Ebola there in those weapons labs in Africa, and the only way that got out is because it had to be uh, released uh, in some way. But that's the typical way that you accelerate a mutation scheme. Instead of using laboratory rats, you get thousands of people infected, and you're going to get a much faster chance of a mutant form that will be useful. And so that's what is suspected uh, behind this. I mean, we know that uh, vaccinations and other national health causes have been used to infect people, as the Philippine women who had an abortion put in a tetanus shot there. It was given to them by Red Cross and UN people. It caused a major stir over a decade ago. You know, we gave, uh, through blood transfusions, uh, hemophilia to many black prisoners in, in the South. This government really doesn't have any principles about using humans as guinea pigs. I include American military such as in the Gulf War vaccinations that uh, had a great deal of immune system damage causing the Gulf War syndrome. This is the kind of government we're dealing with. And we're not going to change that, or you're not going to change that at the ballot box. It doesn't matter who's offered up, uh, I guess, for election for president. Is that is that a fair assessment? No, absolutely. That's why I say, you know, when they control all the law enforcement, most of the judges, about three-quarters of Congress, the game is over. Uh, you know, they still fear the people because if it became widely, you know, and that's why I applaud, you know, having a conspiracy show, Richard. People need to know that the only real way to stop this is to alert as many millions as we can about the nature and degree to which conspiracy controls this country and Canada as well. A lot of Canadians think, you know, we can stand over there on the border and, and, uh, turn up our noses at all the problems in the U.S., but their government leaders in Canada are absolute yes-men to the same globalist we have in America. They control much of Canada. So we're all in this together, Richard. And so who are the likely uh, pre-approved, sanitized presidential candidates? Is it going to be Jeb Bush versus Hillary Clinton? Well, I think Hillary Clinton's got a lock on things. Um, but I don't think the establishment wants Hillary 
elected. There is a massive backlash against Obama and against the Democrats, and the best way to quell that backlash is to give to them a phony Republican conservative. And, uh, you know, they already have tried or showed their signals that they want. Chris Christie is their number one choice. He's a Democrat in Republican clothing, got a lot of skeletons in his closet, has a lot of foot and mouth disease, as he showed in the, in the bridge scandal. But they're still not through trying to promote him. Joel, always a pleasure. Thank you for this, and uh, uh, best of the holiday season. And uh, uh, I hope for great health and, and peace and prosperity for you and yours in 2015. Thank you. Feel the same for you, Richard. Uh, and once again, the website for World Affairs Brief, especially if you'd like to uh, subscribe, and it's well worth it, uh, is www.worldaffairsbrief.com. Uh, my name is Richard Serrett. You can say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. And uh, also, uh, the website is uh, richardserrett.com. As always, follow the truth.